Hi, you're listening to Sunday Mornings at Sherman Bible Church. We're really glad you chose to join us today. Good morning. Yeah, it's great being with you. Great, great new digs. I like them. Um, last time I was here, I don't think uh, the building was ready, but it is good to be. I guess you're all happy you're home too. The new building is fantastic. I went through the children's ministry and was like, man, I want to go there every Sunday. Go crawl through a, tu- you know, a tube or something. It's awesome back there. But um, it's good having you all here uh, this morning. And um, as my dad said, we were up here with a group of our students here at the University of Texas uh, for a mission trip. And um, it's an exciting week for us down at Hill Country Bible Church UT because uh, it is spring break. And while most students are away in Padre Island, um, uh, we have eight trips going all around the world full of college students and uh, our staff and Pastors and everybody, we were just spread all over the place from Beirut, Lebanon, uh, lucky them, uh, to uh, a group down in the Dominican Republic, group down in um, Mexico, Memphis, Omaha, Sherman, Texas. Um, where else we got? I don't know. They're everywhere. Just look at a map. We're probably there right now. And uh, it's just exciting to see college students that when they start to actually understand what God is asking of their life, they just begin to give their life away. And for the last four years, you know, when we started this, this church down at the University of Texas, uh, I would have to say that I've learned more from my college students than maybe they've learned from me. Because when they actually catch this idea of having Jesus be the center of their life, they begin to change the world. They begin to give their spring break, their one week, and they raise money. And uh, our students raised over $100,000 to do our spring break trips uh, this year. And not only that, they raised uh, about $15,000 for Haiti relief. And that was an interesting story by itself. Um, Just to see them get engaged in the work of God's redemptive mission uh, here on the face of of the earth. And I get the question sometimes, like, Denny, why do you do college ministry? One is because they're fun. They like to laugh. They stay up late. I used to stay up late with them. I can't do that anymore. Um, but, and it's the University of Texas. I was going to say, who doesn't like the University of Texas? But I'm not going to say that in this crowd. Uh, but it is the University of Texas. And, um, and i got to be honest with you. The reason why I invest and give my life to college students is real simple. When I look at what happens in the life of a college student, that four, five, six years, depending on what track they're on, Um, Some of your parents are like, yeah, mine's on the seven-year track. Uh, Those years are some of the most formative years of their life. The decisions that they make within their time in college will change the whole trajectory of their life. And some of you are, are testimonies of that. Many of the decisions you made in college, you're now having to deal with the consequences of those decisions made. And so for us as, uh, as Christ followers, for us as a church, large, large church, the church of Jesus Christ, we see that if we can capture students and fashion in them a love for Jesus during their collegiate years, then it will actually transform their life for the rest of their life that will obviously transform the world. And so uh, my wife and I, we, we just love working with our college students. And um, uh, it's been four years down there, and it's been awesome every single second of it. And, uh, and it's just been awesome to see how they have actually impacted our lives and, and to see them actually start to understand this idea of Christ being the center of my life. 
You know, it's a hard concept to understand sometimes, this idea of Christ being the center of our lives. We, we don't always get this idea of Christ being the center of our lives. We think we do, but when we read Scripture and we see what Christ is really calling us to, I'm not sure our life would represent that. A few weeks ago, I was speaking out in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and uh, it was a real busy week leading up into um, uh, when I had to go out of town. And I think the last time I saw my wife and my child that week trip was probably on Monday night. And then by the time I got home every other night, they were all asleep. And, uh, and then I got on a plane that Friday morning and uh, flew out to San Francisco to speak in the Bay Area. And then after that, uh, I spent all day Monday meeting with some other church planners in uh, the San Francisco area. And then the plan was for me to come home Tuesday morning, and uh, first thing Tuesday morning. Well, I was missing my family. I don't know how many of you travel for business, but there is, you know, sometimes that one night in a hotel is really good. Like you get to sleep in that Hyatt Heavenly bed. You know, I mean, it's beautiful. No one, no, no kid, you know, waking you up like he did last night and t- to tell me there's an alligator on his arm. Um, you know, that doesn't happen. And so uh, that one night's good. But after about four or five nights, three nights being away from your family, you just want to get home. Like there's no place like home. You know, you want to get home and, and see your, your son just laugh and say stuff that doesn't make sense, but it's funny. You want to play with them in the backyard. You want to see, you know, your wife. You want to see her beautiful smile. You want to hold her. You want to hug your kid. You know, you, you start to miss home a little bit. So I was out there, and I wasn't supposed to fly out till Tuesday morning, but I got done with my meetings a little bit earlier than I anticipated on Monday. And so I pick up the phone and driving down the road, and I, I call the airline and say, man, I got to get home. Like, what's the next flight out back to Austin, Texas? And she said, well, all the flights are, you've missed all the flights for the day, but there is a red eye. And so I go, man, get me on that red eye, like now. And so uh, we made the change and charged me that 150 because I'm going home to see my wife and my kid. And so uh, I go back to the hotel, I pack all my stuff up, I throw it in the rental car, I drive to the airport and uh, get settled in and then, you know, get on that red eye. And I don't know how many of you have flown red eyes, but there's a reason why they're cheaper. Uh, because number one, just the people on red eyes are a little stranger. Um, you know, I mean, you don't know who you're sitting next to, but it's a little strange. And then also, uh, you know, on red eyes, it's, they don't really don't give you all the amenities that, that the airline's supposed to give you. They basically just turn off the lights, shut the little windows, and throw on a movie and say, enjoy the ride. And, you know, you don't get beverages, nothing like that on a red eye. And, uh, and they just put on the movie. It's kind of like parenting sometimes, you know, just put on the movie and they'll be okay. And so, uh, and so, you know, I got settled in and the whole time I'm just thinking, I'm going home. Like, I can't wait to get home. I miss my family so much. I finally get home. I get off the plane. I, I go by Target because I told my son that I was going to bring him a, a, you know, a, a surprise home, and I kind of forgot. And so I had to go by Target and, uh, and go, and I bought some monster trucks for him. And, you know, I come in the door, and, of course, it's like, Daddy's home. Oh, yeah. And then you throw the monster trucks there, and they're like, yeah, I love Daddy even more. And, and then, you know, you hug, you hug Bridget, and you, you give her a kiss, and it's just like, it's so good to be home. I missed it so much. That same feeling that you feel when you miss home should be the same feeling that we have when we think of heaven. That we long for it. It's almost as if we think to ourselves, if I can just get on a red eye to heaven. Like, I, I just, I just want to get home. 
Because heaven is where our home is. You understand that, right? As, as Christ followers, we, we've been told that we are not citizens of this world, but we're actually citizens of heaven. And so our, our home is actually to be with Jesus and to be at his throne and, and to be around his throne and, and to be with him in all of eternity. That is our home. And there should be something in us that, uh, like a, a, a force that, that makes us gravitate towards this desire to, to just be home with Jesus. I just want to get there. I, I long for that, just to see him face to face, to be in his presence. And, and there should be something that moves us or compels us to desire to be there. But you know what? The truth is, majority of us, We don't desire to be home in heaven. Like the idea of getting on a red eye to heaven. No. Because heaven to us, it means that death, which is a little bit uncomfortable to think about. And so... And then what it also means is that we actually leave the creature comforts of this world that we have so nicely put together for ourselves, right? You know, Denny, I'm not ready to go and be with Jesus yet because I'm still watching my plasma screen and it still has 200 hours left. Like, come see me then, but I don't want to go there now because I'm still watching my kids grow up. I'm still enjoying my 401k that I've invested in for my whole entire career. I'm still enjoying all the things here. We've made the comforts of our, uh, of our life and the comforts of earth almost to be more in comparison to being with Jesus. How crazy is that? It just doesn't make sense. But the idea to go and, and, and go to heaven and leave here is not compelling for us. Paul t- tells us it this way in Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 3, he, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi. He's writing to Christ followers, people whose lives have uh, supposedly had been transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. First off, the Apostle Paul says, you can, you can imitate my life. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's not a whole lot of people who can say, imitate me. If you want to know what it looks like to live with transcendency, to live for eternity, just follow after me. The Apostle Paul says, follow after me. I live that type of life. I don't even know if I could say that to my college students, but he's saying, follow after me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, listen to this, of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Just absorb that for a second. He's saying that in that church in Philippi, there are some of you who walk as enemies of the cross. Like you come to church, you take up your chair, you, you have your Bible, you even dusted it off to bring it in this morning, you, you, you sang your worship, and uh, you, know, you may even write a little check today, put it in the boxes on the way out. You may do that. But reality is, you're an enemy of the cross. 
And you say, Denny, that's a little harsh. Just listen. Listen to what he says. Listen how he describes these people. He says, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, and their God is their belly. It's their appetites. He goes on to say that their desires are the things of this earth. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul is saying that they rather sit on earth in the creature comforts that the earth that they've acquired for themselves than actually be with Jesus. And so all they do in all the days of their life is they, is they move through and, they, and all they do is they acquire for themselves whatever their appetite wants. A BMW, I gotta get that 700 series. I got the 500, but I really want the 700 because Batman would drive the 700, so I gotta have that. And so all we do is we acquire thinking that that's gonna be full satisfaction, that's gonna satisfy us. And so our appetites not become not the things of Jesus or not even Jesus himself. It becomes the things of this earth and all we do is feed it. And if that's you today, I just want you to be clear because the Apostle Paul was clear. You are an enemy of the cross. You may look like a good church member, but you're an enemy of the cross. And then Paul reminds them in Philippians chapter 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is giving them a perspective, an eternal perspective here, that, that life itself, that that we've been called as Christ's followers to, to live what I would say, and you may want to write this down, an informed life. A life that is informed of, of what the mission of my life is all about. What, what Christ is calling me to and what my affections should be really all about. What I should be devoted to. And a, an informed life that says that Jesus is the center of my life. Not my 401k, not my four-bedroom house, not, you know, not my career. That Jesus is the center of my life. Not even my kids and not even my wife, but Jesus is the center of my life. And I'm going to chase after that because this isn't my home. This is merely, I'm just passing through. And though God gives us great blessings while we're passing through, does he not? I mean, some of you drove in a car today, and I'm one that has seat warmers. We live in Texas. Do we need seat warmers? Really? And he gives us great blessings. He gives us children. He gives us families. He gives us, he gives us friends. He gives us a good career, a good paying job. He gives us all these benefits and mercy and grace. And though they make the journey here on earth nice and comfortable, he's saying that is not what you've been called to because your citizenship is in heaven and your heart should long to be with Jesus more than anything. And everything that you do in your life should be, should be put in a place where we're moving towards the cross of Jesus. That's my affection. That's who sits on the throne of my life. That's what an informed life is all about. But unfortunately, the truth is, let's just be honest, we don't live that way. This is how we live. And let's see if we can illustrate it this way. Uh, the best way I could potentially think about how to illustrate this is we are all about we are, all con we are concerned, more concerned about building our house, our estate, our 401ks than we are about the eternal things of Christ or even being in the presence of Jesus. So, you know, we, we think to ourselves, if we could just have, you know, a, a perfect little family, and uh, that's a bunk bed here. Let me move it so you can see it. A bunk bed uh, for you. Oh, lost the mattress. Let's put that in there. 
one kid. And, you know, you got your two little kids. I guess these are kids. I don't know. But, wow, they're big. They're giant. It's like they're going to be basketball players. Um, you know, and we work so hard to even furnish. How much money have you spent on the furnishings in your house? I, I, I don't even want to answer that question. But we do all this, and we have our little TV room because, you know, no house is, is done until you have the media center. And so we put our little media center in, and um, I think that's the TV there. That's not good enough, is it? So we'll get the iPhone out. Widescreen. We've got to have that. That's actually bigger and better. So we'll put that there. This is worthless. This is like tube. Who has a tube television? No, we, we don't want that. We spend all of our times building the comfort of our life that it's so comfortable that, Denny, why would I want to go to heaven? I'm too comfortable now. And Paul is telling us, your citizenship is in heaven. And your God should not be the appetites of your belly and the desires of your flesh. It, it should be for the things of Jesus. And for the things of Christ, the things of eternity. Even Paul, in Philippians 1, he, he says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I stay here and I labor for, if I, if I stay here, then that means good labor for me for eternity. But, but he even says, but I struggle with it. Like I'm torn what should I choose? To be with Jesus, who I want to go to because that's my home, or labor for him here? What shall I do? See, there's a tension here between earth and eternity. The tension of, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in his presence But we've built our life so comfortable that we've pushed that off and said, well, no, actually, I just want to stay here. We should have this tension, the tension that says, do I really want to get on the red-eye flight right now to go see Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that we're going to start a cult here this morning and everyone's going to drink some juice and we're going to all get there sooner. That's not what I'm saying. But it's that desire, it's that passion, it's, it's that affection. That when we start to have that type of attention of our lives to live for eternity, that it moves us to actually live for to live today for tomorrow. It transforms the way that we think. We're not so much worried about building our creature comforts as much as we are the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's an informed life. That Jesus is the center of my life. And it's hard. It's hard for us to understand this. It's hard for us to live this way. I mean, the disciples didn't even get it. Think about Peter real quick. Here's Peter. He was called by Jesus one day when he was fishing. And Jesus said to him, you know, you'll no longer be a fisherman. You'll be a fisher of men. 
So follow me. Peter says yes. Peter was one of the most passionate people that we see in the Bible, specifically among the disciples. He was always the first to say, Jesus, I will go there. And, you know, I'll be Jesus. Uh, Peter was always the first to follow. Peter was always the first to speak up. Peter was always the first person to say with his mouth, yes, Lord, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. And he was very passionate. He was like, I'll cut off ears for Jesus, which he did. And that's the way that Peter lived his life. But then, and Peter, by the way, he saw Jesus, all the miracles of Jesus, water into wine. He saw Jesus take a man who was crippled and say, stand and walk. He saw Jesus heal the blind man and he could see again. He even saw Jesus Go to the tomb of Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man came out of the tomb. Right? Peter saw him walk on water. Peter lived life with him for three years, doing ministry with him, saw everything that he did, fed the 5,000. He witnessed all of that. He even heard Jesus say repeatedly to people, your sins are forgiven. He knew that Jesus claimed that he could forgive sin. Jesus believed he was the son of, uh, Peter believed that Jesus was the son of God. Peter believed that, 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 that Jesus was all powerful. He, he believed that he had sovereign control over all things. He saw him calm the storms. But yet when Jesus left and when Jesus, was, when Jesus started to make his journey to the cross, where do we find Peter? We find Peter sitting around and some guy says to him, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, nah, man, never met the guy. Three times he betrays Jesus. And then later in John chapter 21, if you have your Bible, we see another very interesting exchange between Peter and and Jesus, and this is what it says, that when we look at Peter's life and we think, if I could just be like Peter, a guy who had boldness and courage for the gospel, and he did, but he had his imperfections. He didn't fully understand this idea of living an informed life for Jesus Christ and for the kingdom. Because what we see in John chapter 21, this is what it says, starting in verse 1. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So we know that at this point in John chapter 21, this will be the third time that Jesus will reveal himself to Peter. So Peter has now seen the resurrected Jesus. The last time he heard of Jesus was in a tomb. He was dead. But now he has witnessed the living Christ who has risen from the dead. Obviously, you know, when you see Jesus that was once dead and now he's alive, that's going to transform your life. And so we see that Jesus, uh, he revealed himself again. But during this time, it says, Simon Peter, verse 3, said to the disciples, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. I bet Jesus, Peter, haven't we been here before, man? I mean, haven't we had this conversation? You're trying to fish and you can't catch anything. And it's amazing to me, he's a fisherman. The guy never catches fish unless Jesus is there. 
But Jesus is there and he says, have you caught anything? And they say to him, uh, and they say no. And he says, well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not, uh, so they cast it out and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he was stripped. Now, you skip past that. This, this is a tribute to Texas because you don't get any more, like, you know, redneck than this right here. Fishing in a boat naked, <laughs> right? I mean, here Peter is. He, he, he's fishing, and it says that he has to put back on his garments because he is stripped down to do the work. And so we see Peter out there. He's, he's fishing in his skibbies. That's what it's saying to us. And so, I mean, that's like as redneck as it gets. Like, what did you do? I'm going fishing, but I'm doing it half naked. You know, all right, man, you go. And so we see him that he puts on his clothes, and he jumps back in the water, and he goes after Jesus, and the disciples finally come, and they follow him there. And, and, and Jesus tells them, it says in verse 9, when they got on the land, they saw the charcoal fire in place. So Jesus had already started a little little fire for him, a little campfire. And with fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them to be exact. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And so they have breakfast. And then after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, come here, son. We gotta have a talk. So it's almost as if Jesus kind of pulls Peter over to the side and he says this when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? In fact, he asks him, Do you love me more than these? What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the fish. He's saying, Peter. Do you love me more than the fish? Because I think Jesus was probably thinking in his mind, okay, Peter, did I not call you to be a fisher of men? Isn't that what I called you to do? Why are you back on that boat, son? Get off that thing and come back here and get involved in what I called you to do. Live the informed life, which I told you that, that upon this rock I'll build my church, that I'm going to use you to build the church. And so, and so Peter, what, what are you doing on the boat? And so he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And of course, Peter responds, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. <laughs> And then Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to, the, he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Jesus is asking him a very poignant question here of, Peter, it's real simple, do you love me? And the way that Jesus was saying it in the Greek, he was saying it in such a way that the Greek tells us that he was saying, do you love me? The greatest love that could ever be expressed, do you love me in that way? And you know Peter's response? Yeah. According to the Greek, yes, Lord, I like you a lot. No, no, no. 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I like you. Peter, uh, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, for the third time, I like you this much. It's, it's almost like when I was dating my wife, we, we were probably dating about six months, and uh, uh, we just got finished watching a movie, and we were driving home, and um, we're sitting at a red light, and I looked over at her, and I said, and, and it dawned upon me in that moment, this is the woman I'm going to marry. Like, she's sitting right there. So we're sitting there, and I look over at her, and I go, Bridget, I need to tell you something. She's like, yeah. I go, I love you. You know her response? Thanks. <laughs> she said, thank you. I appreciate that. I just said, I love you, and I get a thanks back? Like, you can't take back the love once it's out there. So, I, 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 like, I didn't know what to do. In fact, uh, you know, it led to uh, actually a larger conversation, but... Um, <laughs> I was thinking, this is the woman I'm going to marry and spend my life with and have kids and build a family. I mean, we're, this is going to be amazing. Dude, I love you, baby. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I like you. I like you. Uh -uh. <laughs> Peter, I went to the cross for you. Do you remember that? I'm the son of God the king of the world. I bring redemption, I bring grace, and I bring mercy. Do you love me? Yeah, I like you. See, one reason why we don't live the informed life, the life with Jesus in the center of everything, is because we have failed to answer the question, how much do I love Jesus? We just haven't answered that. Uh, I mean, just like Peter, we're quick to say, Lord, right? Yes, Lord. We're, we're quick to do that. But when it comes to the affections of our heart, we, we're, we say, Lord, loudly, but we love so little. <laughs> the affections of our heart. When we wake up in the morning, it's not like, I just want to be with Jesus. I, I just want to live for Jesus. I, I, I just want Jesus to consume everything that I have. And, and we have failed to answer the question, how much do we really love Jesus? We appreciate the benefits of the gospel. Thank you very much. And I really appreciate that. But do we really love Jesus in the way that he's asking Peter to love him? Peter, if you love me, or Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, I love you. I like you this much. He's like, no, 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 no. I want to know, do you love me? Would you, would you strip everything out of, my, out of your life and love me? The Apostle Paul said that he learned to live and be content, whether he had plenty or whether he had little, whether God gives or he takes away, that he loves. He loves Jesus more than anything. But... Something gets stripped away from us, and all of a sudden, our affection for Christ becomes wavering. And so, Peter's sitting there, and he's asking, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And to live lives that I believe are informed, 
with a vision for what God wants to accomplish in his redemptive mission here in Sherman, here at the University of Texas, wherever we may find ourselves, it will only, it requires people who have wrestled with how much do I love Jesus? The second reason I think we fail to live an informed life is because we want relationship without responsibility. Every single guy in the room is like, absolutely. Where can I get that? We want a relationship with Jesus without responsibility. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, I like you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I, I like you. Then, 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 then tend to my lambs. And Peter, do you love me? Okay, yes, then feed my sheep again. And so Jesus is saying, okay, if you love me and if you've settled the question of the affections of your heart, of me being on the throne of your heart, then if that is true, then the relationship has some responsibility. If that is true, then the informed life, what would, be, what, what would be demonstrated in the informed life is that we love Jesus so much that everything that we do goes towards eternity. Everything we do goes towards furthering the kingdom. Everything we do goes to be in line with the mission of God and that we can pray in such ways that, God, may, may I be on mission for you because I love you and my affections are overwhelmed with you. When we get to that place, we begin to understand that Jesus is saying, I know you love the benefits of salvation, you love the mercy, you love the grace, but hello, I'm on mission, and I'm, mis I'm on mission to bring the gospel to every living soul on the face of the earth. So get out of your boat, Peter, and come and be a fisher of men, as I've already told you. Many of us fail to live an informed life because we really do just want the relationship without responsibility. Lastly, I think it's because we have failed to live by the will of another. Jesus, in this, in this exchange with Peter, he's obviously challenging him about the affections of his heart and that the affections of his heart would, in return, there would be a demonstration of those affections by the way that he lived his life for eternal things. And then Jesus reminds him, just as Jesus is reminding us, if we really love Jesus and we really want to live with a, a, a transcendent vision of God in our life, living for eternity, living today for tomorrow, that type of idea, if we really want that, then what would happen is we would understand that we actually live by the will of another, not by our own will. Because Jesus says to him the third time, he says, you know, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. You know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus says in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you, wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You know what Jesus was telling him? You will die for me. You're going to die for me. Like, Peter, I want to let you know about my will for your life. My will for your life will that you will be martyred, hanging upside down on a cross for me. That's my will. 
Peter, to live an informed life, I want to let you know that what's ahead of you is you used to be able to dress yourself, you used to be able to tell yourself where to go, but in the future, someone will dress you and they will tell you where to go and it will be a martyr's death. Do you love me that way, Peter? Peter's response? The same response we have. Listen to this. I mean, Peter is no better than we are. Listen to this. Peter turned and he saw the disciple who Jesus loved. That would be John. And you know what he says? Verse 21. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that guy? <laughs> it's okay. Jesus, you're, you're telling me I'm going to be martyred for you? Like, that's what I'm hearing right now. You know, maybe I need to rerun it through you. Are you telling me that I'm going to lose my life for the sake of your purposes and for your kingdom? And if I love you, that that's, what, that, that's what, how I'll live my life. Is that true? Is that what you're saying? Okay, well, well what about John? What's he got to do? Like, what's John giving up? Why is that? He doesn't even face, the, he doesn't even... Look at Jesus and say, okay, I'm ready. He's like, he's too concerned about, well, what are other people going to get? What other, you know, am I just getting the short straw or is John going to have to die too? Because I'd really appreciate it if John is there with me. Like that's what he's thinking. And that is so typical of how we live our life. And pastors are the worst. You know, I mean, as pastors, we get into this comparison game like, well, why can't I build a new building by the University of Texas and have an awesome foyer? That's awesome. Like, can I steal that somehow? Kids, we can probably figure out how to do it. Why can't I write a book? Why, why, well, why can't I speak that many times? Well, why can't I do this? Why? And God's like, Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Just, I gave you a call. I gave you something specific. Just do that. Don't worry about this guy. Don't worry about that guy. Don't worry about the building they're building. Just be on mission for me. Don't worry about what I'm doing in other people's lives. Worry about what I'm doing in your life. It's so typical. And Jesus is probably like, oh, Peter, come here. Just, just go, you know what's going to happen to John. He's going to die in a lonely exile on the island of Patmos, okay? So you're okay. Like, he's going to be lonely. You're just going to be quick. <laughs> See, the informed life answers the question, how much do I really love Jesus? Do I love Jesus more than the benefits that he gives me? The informed life wrestles with the idea that there is responsibility to the relationship with Jesus because now he has called me into what the Apostle Paul reminds the church of Corinth, into the ministry of reconciliation. And then thirdly, we understand that my life is to live by the will of another. And when I say the Lord's Prayer, if you ever recite it, the most dangerous prayer you can ever pray and the most dangerous piece of the prayer is, Thy will be done on heaven as it is on earth. And when you pray that, you're inviting God to say, Okay, you really want my will done in your life? Think about your life right now. If God were to really have his will in your life, what would it look like? Most of us, including myself, we would shudder. I don't want that. Because I still like this. And I know if you have your will, 
This has got to go away. Some of you are, you may be thinking, well, Denny, I'm kind of letting this go away. We decided not to buy the 8,000 square foot house so we could help build the building. Yeah, I'm not going to upgrade to the 700 series BMW. I'm going to stick with my five because we're going to build this building. I have personally found the experience in my life that writing a check for the kingdom, though difficult and though a sacrifice, is one of the easiest things to do. You can move money around. But actually saying, God, I want you to take my college kid and I want you to put him in missions on foreign soil. Try that prayer. See, let's just think about it logically. We're logical people, right? Pretty rational. This is eternity. This is your life. This is the 90 years, if you're lucky, that you will spend on earth. This is actually a bad example because eternity is eternal, but this is only 50 foot of eternity. <laughs> Uh-oh, I maybe nodded up. It happened, that did that last service too. This is eternity. Goes along 50 foot. It's long. This is your life. The majority of our energy and our affections and our attention go towards that right there. While you're going to spend eternity there. Someone explain to me why that makes logical sense. It's not even logical, the way we live our life. We spend so much time worrying about our 401ks, about the perfect house, raising the perfect children, making sure they have the perfect little clothes, making sure that their life was a little bit better than our life. And we spend so much energy on the black. Yet, this is eternity, and that's where we'll be forever. And when we think about eternity, on the way back on that plane, by the way, I saw the movie... Uh, Things called the invention of lying. Anybody seen that movie? Like two of us? Perfect. It's about the guy who uh, was the first person to lie. And then uh, in his lying, people want to know what heaven was like. So he gets up before all the citizens of the world and tells them, Heaven, this is what it's like. Everyone gets free ice cream, any kind you want. In heaven, everybody's going to have a mansion. 
You know, and it's kind of a scene where he just goes and says, whatever is your favorite place, that's what it's like in heaven, and on and on and on and on. I, I honestly don't necessarily know what heaven's going to be like. There may be streets of gold. What I do know is Jesus will be there. And that should be more than enough. Like, it should be so compelling to us to get to eternity as quick as possible just because of the fact that Jesus is there. And when we think about it, we go, I don't need free ice cream in heaven. I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus at the throne of Christ and that is more than enough of me uh, uh, enough for me and it will take us all of eternity to enjoy Jesus but our desire should be that we live our life here in a way that when we get here and Jesus looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And we long more than anything to hear that. That we live in such a way and our life is informed and our heart has so much affection for Jesus that we get to a place where we say, like the Apostle Paul, this tension for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, but can't wait for the red eye to go see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we come before you, Lord, and just as you've, uh, just as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, that we worship you. Your name is great. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the head of all creation, the maker of all things. You hold everything in your sovereign plan. And we worship you this morning and we bless you this morning and we live lives that demonstrate how much we love you and how much affection that we have for you, that we live lives not because of the gifts, but because of the giver. And Father, my prayer for Sherman Bible, my prayer for myself, my prayer for our students at the University of Texas, it's the same prayer, that your kingdom come and your will be done. And Father, may our lives be lives that live for the will of another, your will. May we have a perspective that says, I will live today for eternity in the mercies and the grace and the blessings of tomorrow. In my workplace, Jesus will be the center of it. As I raise my children, Jesus will be the center of it. As I be a husband, Jesus will be the center of it. As I interact with my neighbors, Jesus is the center of it. And that there's something in us that moves us and compels us to sit and rest 
with even anticipation. I want to be home. I want to be with Jesus because that is my home. Father, may you give us an eagerness to get on the red eye to be in your presence forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, feel free to visit our website at shermanbible.com or call anytime during our office hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. at 903-893-7795.